This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. It's a miracle this got off the ground in the first place. Scott Owen. Adam, that's Park de Paris. Put some respect on the home of Queensland football. And Adam Pace. Look, I think of what other choice you have. Starting now. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Brisbane Football Review on Clutch Radio. It is James Scott and Adam here back in our normal Wednesday evening slot after a couple of disrupted weeks as we've got a mixed bag of results for the Brisbane Roars A-League men's side to recap, plus a whole lot of news and, as it turns out, an NPL women's season to preview. So, Scott, how are things going on your end? Back to recording on a Wednesday, Raw winning, my English team not winning, things are getting back to normal, James. And about the same for you, Adam, with, at least in the English team stakes? Oh, let's not talk about that, but I just want to clarify as well <laughs> that uh, we are not the three geniuses, because associating us with the word genius is, brings that word into disrepute, so it ain't us. Unless you're calling us geniuses sarcastically, in which case... Yeah, that's probably accurate. Nobody has ever called us genius in any way whatsoever, sarcastically or otherwise. Disrepute. Yes. <laughs> Obnoxious, arrogant, moron. Oh, no, wait, that's just what people have said about me. Anyway, <laughs> pleased to be here for another show in... Well, the as we're closing in on the final month of the A-League men's season... And there is a whole lot for us to cover. But before we do that, we will get into our usual plugs. This is the Brisbane Football Review on Clutch Radio. If you want to get in touch with us, the email, brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com. Comments, questions, feedback, segment ideas. We will read the good ones at the very least. Uh, Facebook, The Raw Review. Twitter, at BNE Football. And Instagram, uh, which is Brisbane Football Review. On those three social accounts, you can find live coverage of every senior Brisbane Raw uh, match men's and women's as well as select national premier league games there is also the npl sunday show back in full swing featuring scott and adam and not me usually also so not that... featuring geniuses <laughs> <laughs> well maybe the coaches you interview good point oh, quite... we... darren simon's quoting some shakespeare the other night so I'll, i think that's, <laughs> that could be accurate Jeez, I, don't, I think that may very well be the first quote of Shakespeare on this show in almost seven years. Anyway, um, yeah, so you can find live coverage there, NPL Sunday, and yeah, you can also catch us on the podcast on the A-League Live app. You can also listen to us on Wooshka, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty sure we're still on TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, and all those other good podcast outlets. However you are joining us, we're very pleased to have you on board for the next hour or so. And we will get into the recap of the last two Raw matches. It was a 3-0 loss to Wellington last Wednesday night up at Morton Daly Stadium. And we won't spend too long on the match because, well, quite frankly, we want to focus on the much more cheery result on Sunday afternoon. But we do have to talk about, well, frankly, Scott, there's no other way to put it, Ollie Sale having the game of his life. Yeah, we will cover this quickly. Mostly because it was a week ago and I've forgotten a large degree of what actually happened. But you're right, Ollie Sale was... Absolutely outstanding in goal for Wellington, wasn't he? He was by far and away the best player on the park, and I think the, the, um, the Wellington coaching staff, when we spoke to them after the game, were gushing him with praise of his performance in terms of it. It probably did win them the game, didn't it? The Raw had a lot of shots on goal in this game, James, but he made at least a half dozen, if not more, outstanding saves to deny them. At the other end, Wellington were ruthless. They only had a couple of chances, but they took them really well. And Adam, what stood out to me from this game, the first goal, it was another own goal, as they tend to happen at the moment uh, for the Raw. It was Scott Neville turning it into his own net. But I want to focus more on the second and third goals, where if you needed a summary of how the Raw were travelling on that night, they had excellent chance down the attacking end. Sale came up with a big stop, or there was a block, or a good chance denied, and then seemingly within about 60 seconds, ball was down the other end and in the back of the net. It was the one thing that I know Warren Moon noted in his um, in his post game press conference, and one, one and a fact that sort of come up is that he rates Wellington as probably the best you know counter attacking team in well counter attacking such transition team in the league, and they showed him both those goals. You know, how quickly they can go from you know, being you know, pretty much you know, about to concede and turn it round and score. And um, I know that uh, this is the same that uh, happened in their first meeting at Leichhardt Oval where. Where it's pretty much you know, the, the, 
that the transition is what caught the Raw down. The second game at Morton Daly Stadium, the Raw were able to stop that and then shut down those those counterattacks, and that's where they got res- got um, results. Whereas this again, it seemed that you know Wellington, you know, were able to get get free and be able to take their opportunities because they did they did have um, very limited opportunities, but they made them count. It's a good point you make, Adam, and I think Warren was really disappointed in that as well, wasn't he? After the game, and you saw his reaction to but that second goal in particular, not just when it went in, but also his immediate reaction to make a couple of changes to the side. So you, it was clearly something that they were they'd focused on in terms of Wellington are really strong in that transition game. They probably had a similar plan to what they had a couple of weeks ago when it did work, to your point. It didn't work on, on last Wednesday, James, did it? Wellington, they had a lot of opportunities on the counter. They scored two, and it could have been another couple as well. It could have, but... Similarly so, like we don't want to go all doom and gloom here and it has to be said that on just about any other day you feel like the Raw could have very easily scored at least two of their own to possibly make it a little bit more of a contest. It was just one of those just one of those nights where you had uh, where you had basically the opposing keeper having an absolute blinder and uh, and obviously the more the more and more confidence that grew from that it was just a case of, you know, the Raw almost just like, oh, what, what what the hell can we do? And, and yeah, I think it's just one of those nights. The problem is, is that when you're second last on the table, those sort of nights are ones where you're ruining and it is really doom and gloom. Other times, if you're in the top half of the table or even in the top, you know, top couple of teams, you, you sort of brush off and go, okay, we go again. Whereas, you know, in the Raw's position at the moment, especially being their third straight loss at home inside a week, it, there's a lot of focus and, and a lot more focus about what is actually going on in the bigger picture. Yeah, and the positive is, James, is when the young players did come on, like Osiris, Demi, and Eli Adams, had a real impact, didn't they, in terms of adding energy and brightness to that front. And they both could have scored on the night. I think Eli Adams had one cleared off the near post there. Cyrus had a couple of good chances as well. So the young players who came in had a real impact, didn't they? Yeah, they did. And I'm not sing- singling you out for using this phrase, Adam, but we go again might actually now be the most overused cliche in all of football. Like even above, you know, credit to the team and all of that stuff. <laughs> I'm sure it is. I, it's almost, um, it was almost uh, unintentional. It's, uh, it's become that much of a cliche. You've been beaten over the head with it enough. And, like, you watch, um, like, well, I know we try not to talk about English football too much here, but that really does feel like the go-to for a lot of Premier League social admins now when they lose. It's, you know, not our night, we go again on, yeah. Especially when your team is four points off relegation, yeah, you do have to go again. I've seen that message a few times this season. Unfortunately, they don't go again, they just lose again. <laughs> they go again, just unfortunately in the same direction. Anyway... So yeah, that was pretty much all we have to offer on that uh, Wellington game. And Can I talk about the VAR thing for 30 seconds? And how ridiculous, uh, how ridiculous it, that took four minutes and it still didn't clear up in any way, did it? I mean, there was they checked it for both a foul and also the a handball. And four minutes later, it was no clearer. Actually, I'm... The, the I, I don't want end go... for the, goal, for the, the um, own goal from Neville. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's, they, they checked it for two different things, and it wasn't clear whether either were accurate or not. And four minutes later, it was no clearer. Ridiculous. It was. So it takes bl- way too long, doesn't it? That it was, was pr- that was quite yeah. ridiculous. It took that long. It took two replays, and it was pretty bloody clear from where I was watching. Well, three and a half minutes later, they still hadn't made a decision, had they? And also, as well, on top of that, um, the revelation you know, from uh, when Scott Neville was actually interviewed by Paramount Plus at, at halftime that, uh, that Sean Evans actually said that he thought it was a foul, but he was going to let VAR um, have a look at it. And then they came back with nothing on that. So, um, look, it's, like I say, it's, it's a week later. There's not, not much to do. VAR has just been an absolute uh, embarrassment, I think, to, if we're being fair about some of the incidents across the league. Uh, in the last week, I don't think we want to waste too much time next. I think we all know, but uh, but yeah, it's just another instance. One, uh, I, I will just say, you know, I do feel like while VAR has deservedly come in for quite a lot of uh, uh, flack from some of these errors, it does also uh, bear mentioning that it was Sean Evans in charge again, where missing the blatantly obvious two-hand push on Scott Neville, which forced him to turn the ball into his own net probably isn't even amongst his top five blunders this month. incorrect interpretation of refereeing. Aren't they meant to give the the foul there? 
Yeah. Shouldn't you have given the foul and they checked it and saw if it wasn't there? You know where they actually say, let things play out and then correct it on replay? The NFL, not football. So if Sean Evans wants to go over and wear ze- go over to America and wear zebra stripes uh, for quite a lot of money, if I'm being completely honest, you know, he's more than welcome to go do that. But, like, he's still the one that makes a final decision on that. VAR can only recommend something. And that was the controversy that happened with the Central Coast Melbourne City game back in February where VAR actually recommended that he overturn his decision, and he didn't. He's still the final arbiter of what the decision was. So if he thought it was a foul, why not call it a foul? Because he's the one that will be charged with looking at the replays. But again, we've been saying it since he came into the league. We don't think he's a good referee. So... Look, the sad thing about and just talking about VAR in general in the league at the moment is that that was not the worst decision made um, this week, which is quite sad if you if, if I'm if I'm being honest. If yeah. they think VAR is some kind of entertainment thing that adds to the the spectacle of the league, they're wrong on so many different levels. It's not entertaining, and it's refereeing is not meant to be an entertainment thing. It's there as an adjudication, James. I don't know. I can, I can't understand why it would even be considered a part of the entertainment product, but if that's what they're thinking, then they're completely wrong. It, well, I think, I think it, we all agree. Four minutes, irrespective of your view on the on the decision, is is probably three minutes too long. I think I think that's the first thing. I, I, I forget forget whether it's right or wrong. I think the amount of time it's being spent on VAR the and the impact it has on the game itself, I, I think that's fundamentally what is wrong with it. I, like forget the decision making. That is the biggest issue at the moment is that it is taking far too long. I think I think you know ninety nine percent of football fans in this country and even around the world um, that are serious about would agree that that is the that's the most fundamental thing is that it's taking too long. You know, and then like I said, and then when you have decisions that are botched, well then that just takes a whole new low. And that's honestly just where the system has not worked. Where you know. Don't, t- don't tell me 10 years ago we weren't hearing all these complaints about referees aren't up to standard and they need help to get it right. And that, and that will continue to be my main issue with VAR is the fact that it's still the same people who are struggling to correctly apply the laws in a fast-paced game. Now they're, now they're the ones expected to uh, similarly dig their way out of it. Anyway. It's a look, long 30 seconds. It really was. <laughs> I we'll went call... for 30 seconds. You pair out of an extra minute and a half to it. <laughs> yeah, blame off. Okay, thanks. So we'll call Scott, uh, Sean Evans, and Adam and I, the two people in the VAR booth. <sighs> Don't associate oh, me with VAR in any way whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's get on to something a little bit more cheery, shall we? The 2-0 win over Newcastle... Yeah, the 2-0 win over Newcastle on... Um... Sorry, just had a phone call come through on my iPad, but I think we're all good, guys. Yep. Yep, there we go. Okay, the uh, Tuna win over Newcastle on uh, Saturday afternoon. No, Sunday afternoon. I've completely lost track of what it is. This is what happens when you have a child. But anyway, 2-0 at Morton Daly Stadium. It was a much improved performance from the Raw, Scott, and it came down to uh, Warren Moon basically saying, all right, enough is enough. I'm going for a change in um, setup." Firstly, before we get that, Newcastle, for their part, were pretty ordinary on the afternoon, and that was by their own coach, Arthur, Arthur Pappas' admission. He was far from pleased with what they dished up on the afternoon. I think we all thoroughly deserved their win, but you're right about what Warren Moon, your point you make there, James. They made seven changes from the side, which which I lost earlier in the week, and it was very, very clear, wasn't it? They were going for something very different in terms of the approach for this game. It was very different to what we saw in midweek. It was a lot more dynamic, a lot more youthful looking in the front third. And I think it worked really well. They were on top for the majority of this game and they could have had the game won well before they did. It left it until the last 10-15 minutes to win the game, but they were well on top and the goals when they came were well and truly deserved. They were, but I have to admit, as that second half was going along, I was getting really nervous because I thought the Raw really should have put this game away, you know, probably by the hour mark. But they were just letting Newcastle hang around, just letting them hang around. And when you've got someone like, you know, Becca Mikkeltadza or coming on at halftime, Valentino Yule, that's really, you know, that's not the sort of team that you want to leave um, in with a shout. But eventually it was the uh, yellow, well, the second yellow card to Lucas Moragis. Moragis. Moragis, yeah. 
um, that second yellow card where he uh, where the game really finally swung firmly in the Raw's favour. Yeah, it was. Um, I think it was a pivotal moment um, because it, it, up till about that that point, it had all the hallmarks of the of a typical. Raw versus Newcastle game up here in Brisbane where Raw are dominating and then you know somehow Newcastle will get sucker punch in and probably go on and win it. But um but the origins of that of that um of of, of that that red card uh for, for Lucas Moragas, that sort of um eventuated early and and it seemed to be that, that Newcastle really had an issue with that left back role defending defending the Raw's right hand hand attack because um Dylan Monane actually started the game. He picked up one yellow card very early on. Debate on whether he may have even sort of seen red on I know for a second yellow card, he was yanked, he was yanked, and uh, Arthur Pappas's sort of you know, admissions they, they they pulled him because they sort of they saw the threat that you know he could go with one more sort of ill-timed challenge. They put Maragas out there, and he ended up picking up two yellow cards himself. So that it, it that, that that card really changed the game as far as because pretty much that's when the Raw really got the opportunity down ten men and really exposed that right that left-hand defence of of the Jets. And Warren spoke about the uh, change in attack, uh, changing attacking approach during his post-match press. So let's hear what he had to say. I think moving forwards, I, mean, I think the players that were selected for today can play the way we want to play. Um, and, you know, a lot of them are younger players. But, um, but they can play. They have the, the capacity and the ability to play how we want them to play. So moving forwards, you know, I said to the group after the, the Wellington game, those that can do it will play, those that can't won't. That was Warren Moon after the match in his press conference. Scott, like the changes really did seem to work, and I, I was a little surprised to see Warren be as ruthless as he was when it came to ringing in the um, squad overhaul. But conversely, it probably shouldn't have been too much of a surprise considering it was their fifth match in fifteen days or something to that effect. Yeah, it seems like the game on last Wednesday against Wellington was a real line in the sand, doesn't it? It seems that way both in terms of the approach to the team at the weekend in terms of selection and also the performance. He prioritised speed and mobility, as you heard heard there. And it seems like that's the approach they're going to go with going forward. That's the type of player that they're looking for. I think that's what they're going to prioritise in terms of who they select between now and the end of the season. And you look at the players they've got who are young and coming through, who fit that Bill Cyrus Demi, Eli Adams, Jez Lofthouse, Henry Hall, these type of players. I think we're going to see a lot of those type of guys. Ramad Akbari, who came back in at the weekend, he was outstanding in midfield for the Raw. So there's, there's a lot of players who fit that quick and mobile and agile type of type of mould, James. I think that, that's the way I think they're going to go from now on. And I think it's not a bad idea, to tell you the truth, because if you look at, think about those type of attributes, that's almost modern football in a way, isn't it? There's not a lot of big, strong target men type players out there and um, those type of players now. So... That seems to be a more modern approach, and I, I think it's not a bad one to tell you, because I think it also really suits the playing tool, playing pool of players they have at the moment. Yeah, that young, hungry, and aggressive. Yep. I think Cyrus Demi, you know, I think we all had a question on, over his performance at the start of the season, but you really are starting to see him uh, maturing with uh, more match time. Absolutely, and we, we keep on saying it. The only thing that's missing for Cyrus Demi is a goal. And if he gets that, I think that's going to be a real turning point for his young career in the A-League. because, And he has been, you know, absolutely desperately unlucky not to score. Um, especially in these last sort of one-and-a-half games. You know, coming on against Wellington, I think he, he had one that hit, hit the uh, post and, and had some, you know, real good chances um, you know, against Newcastle where he probably could have and maybe even should have scored. And... Um, and yeah, but he, but him at the um, focal point with this sort of new, sort of, well, no, I wouldn't say new style, but this sort of renewed emphasis on speed and mobility, that suits him, that suits him uh, to a T. And I think, I think as well as that, I think, you know, all he has to hear, he just needs to break through. And I think we're going to start seeing, you know, you know, what a class player that we know we've seen at a lower level and start come through the A-League level. It's just that confidence for him now where... One chance goes in, and then he will be uh, looking a lot more comfortable. He looks Scott- a bit more confident now, though, doesn't he? In the last couple of games when he's come on, he actually looks a lot more confident now than he did at the end of the season as well. So it's clearly on the way. And his combination with uh, Luka Vanovic is something that I think we're all going to um, really look forward to seeing as well. And keep in mind, like the guys that are out, 
they're all going to come in and probably help play into that sort of style as well. Nikola Milijuznic, uh, Je- uh, I was about to say Jez Lofthouse, he was back on the bench on uh, the weekend. Um, Alex Parsons is another player who uh, would be getting quite close. And it seems like now, you know, these are the guys uh, adding in Lofthouse and Adams. They've got attacking options. So you would hope that for the rest of the season, whether they make the finals or not, scoring goals won't be an issue for them as they continue to try and build in this new philosophy. And you would also hope that it is something that can continue into uh, the 2022-23 season. So you mentioned um, Luca Vanovic. I was really happy for him to come on and get that goal. Look, he's another player who's been in and out of the side all year with injuries. And another one who fits that bill, doesn't he, in terms of that young, hungry, quick and dynamic sort of player in the front third. It was a great finish for him. That's all. And that, that, it is potential, that combination there with Cyrus and, and Luka Vanovic. Not necessarily as a two up front, but even, even one playing a little bit wider and one playing through the middle and they switch around at times. You can see that becoming a decent combination, can't you, in terms of They've both got really good attributes, and I think they can combine really well. So I was pleased to see him come on and get a, get a goal, because I think that he's another player who just needed a goal. And I think that was his first goal from memory since the FFA Cup game against Power way back in August. So it's been a while for Luke, but... No, he scored in round one, didn't he? He's, Luke Farrant yeah, scored in round one. Couple, so yeah. that was his first goal since round one, I think. So it's been a while, but I think that could also do him the world of good. It was great to see him get on and have a real impact. Albeit it was a stoppage time and the game was already won, but it was good to see him get on the score sheet. It's just good that um, I think that Raw have finally and Warren Moon have finally settled on the way forward. Uh, I think it's a case of he has the, t- the players there to do it, but it almost seems like in a way that they were building around other players and just trying to fit them all into a style and, and balance it out. I think now Warren Moon, as I said, you know, for after that that loss on Wednesday night, basically drew the line in the sand and said we need to go forward with a philosophy and rather than trying to have the players and try and fit them into into a, into a style into a style of play let the style of play dictate the sort of players you recruit and uh, I, I think you know I, I think finals you know I think it's all but gone for the Raw so I think why, why not have a go and I think and I, I think looking at the run home um, if, if the Raw's gone as far as their finals chances go, how much fun will it be that you know the Raw could potentially mess up play, uh, clubs like a Melbourne Victory or a Sydney FC in their run home to the finals? I think that would probably give them more pleasure than sort of you know just falling and limping into the finals if it's still there. They owe Melbourne as well, don't forget, James. Given Melbourne Victory a few years ago ruined the Raw's potential third premiership, so they owe Melbourne Victory one. Well, maybe they can get some revenge all these years later. Just looking at the ladder as well, and look, I'm not going to go into doing all sorts of advanced maths to say, you know, this is how the rule can sneak in in um, you know anywhere in the top six. But it really has been an all-or-nothing season for the rule. Of their 19 games, only two have finished as a draw. So it really has been feast or famine. And, you know, six wins, 11 losses, that probably speaks a little bit for itself. But... Keeping in mind, they're eight points behind uh, Sydney FC and Adelaide United, but they do also have two games in hand on both of those clubs. So if you're looking for a path, it's still there, but it just depends how optimistic you really want to be. They're going to have to be perfect, really, aren't they? Pretty yeah. much perfect from here on out to get, get in. We'd like them to be. And I also think that it, it may not be the worst thing to, to almost say to themselves, you know, forget finals. Go, go and take that pressure off. And if it eventuates, then so be it. And you're right, I think that the, there is a path there mathematically. And they don't, and no, so there are games that are very winnable. But um, I, I just think it's almost like the mentality should be, you know, we'll play out the season, have fun with this new style, work on things, and then, you know, see, see what happens. Um, it, may, it may come down to those, those Tuesday night games, which actually, you know, they might be within striking distance, and who knows. But I think for at least for the next week or two, I think just put finals out of the mind and just you know, go forward and just just try and improve on this style. If they in, were to do it as well, James, it would actually be in white hot form to make, to make the finals as well because they're going to have to win at least what seven of the last seven of the last eight to have any real realistic chance to make it. So if they do get there, they're going to be the most informed team in the competition. Then it's then it's a knockout competition. So if they get there, they'd be in good shape. But there's a lot of work to do before you worry about that. I don't think Adam's right. You just focus on on building from here towards next season. And if you get there, you get there. I actually don't think the messaging would change 
all that much, regardless of whether or not they think finals are still a realistic possibility. It's going to be just finish the season with as many wins as possible. So, you know, you might just be able to say, let's just focus on the next game, uh, the one that's coming up this weekend, try and win it. Best case scenario, you pick up three points, build on that the following week. It really shouldn't change the approach one way or another because you still want this side to finish the season on as high a note as possible. So, you know, regardless of what you think about their finals chances, you can see exactly uh, the path that they have to take either way. Now, um, we are going to wrap this up and we will do so with the 3-2-1 vote. So we'll start off by going back to the Wellington game. So let's hear the Brisbane Football Review Player of the Year votes for the Wellington game. Uh, yep, so for, for me, uh, three points Cyrus Demi, two points Nick Olsen, and one point Luke Ivanovich. And now for the Newcastle game, Scott? Uh, three points to Henry Hoare, two for Jay O'Shea, and one for Cyrus Demi. All right, there you go. And that is the raw uh, recap now. And because we do actually have the NPL women's uh, season preview to close out the show, what we might do if it's all right with you guys, is quickly talk about the game coming up this Saturday at 5.05pm, because there's no daylight savings anymore. And, uh, Scott, where are the Raw headed? Uh, They're heading to Combank Stadium, I believe, James, for the first of three straightaway games away to the Western Sydney Wanderers. Last time I played the Wanderers, of course, was the game where they beat them quite handily and Carl Robinson was dismissed the next day. I don't think that's going to happen to Mark Rudin on Sunday if the Raw were to win again, but... It's a good opportunity for the Raw, isn't it? They've played pretty well against Western Sydney in the last couple of games. We know their away form has not been the greatest, so this is a decent opportunity to potentially turn that around and take this newfound style and approach of giving the young players an opportunity and this new vibrant style and seeing how it works away from home. Yeah, Adam, what are you looking for? I actually think this might be a very entertaining game of football. Uh, both teams have got a bit to prove. Both both teams are trying trying to keep their faint finals hopes alive. And uh, like I said, if depending if you believe in them or not, that you know both teams are sort of will be playing hunt. I think this might actually be a free flowing game with a few goals. So um, yeah, it might be one to watch. I frankly just want goals uh, going for one side, and that will be the visitors on the afternoon. That, that's pretty much all I can really say. Bold about... prediction, we'll be talking about our first goal for Cyrus or Jez this time next week. All right, Just there we go. Just it out there. Yeah? You normally ask for prediction, so that's mine. There we go. All right, so that is the recap and preview section done for the podcast. We'll move on to the news and updates. And, uh, well, we've got to start off on probably a bit of a sour note, and we are going to keep this fairly vague for obvious reasons. But... Um, uh, Savannah Burke from 7 News Mackay had the story on, was it yesterday or Monday? First uh, first came out Monday night, follow-up for, on for, Tuesday night. Where the Magpies Crusaders uh, head coach uh, Murphy has, Byron, Brian Murphy, has uh, resigned and uh, also said that there were allegations that a player uh, is or was betting on matches. Now, this is all alleged at the moment. Uh, it has been sent to FQ um, and they've referred the incident to Football Australia's Integrity Unit for investigation honestly like there's really not a whole lot we can speculate on like if it's true it's true if it's not it's not this is for the FA Integrity Unit um, to decide on and um, yeah that's really all we can uh, say on the matter yeah, it's either way. There, there are no winners in this. Um, it's, it's really not a, a good look for the game. Um, and I just hope that it's whatever the whatever the truth is. Uh, there's a speedy resolution and is dealt with. I think it's all we can hope for. Is something you don't want lingering for a long term time. I think for most of all for the image of the game itself. And I can only really speak for myself on this, given what I or where I work for a day job. But I would say, like, you know, it, it's a joke, but it is the whole point of gamble responsibly, where you say, don't, if you can't bet on something or can't do it within your means, don't bet. Like, it's a fairly simple instruction, and yeah, and probably a nice reminder to uh, everyone else as well, saying, you know, these are the rules, and you would hope that if it is, uh, if it does turn out to be true, that the punishment 
will be strong, swift and decisive. If it's true. I continue to emphasise that. Otherwise, you know, there's all sorts of other stuff to um, cover as well. And I get the feeling that will probably also be a story that will have a bit more to come from it as well. Uh, Scott, you found this story on 4BC about a funding gap, apparently. Yes, so Rob Cavallucci, the FQ chairman, did an interview on for, on the radio last week talking about it, and he was talking about the fact that there was meant to be a certain amount of funding provided to to the sport of football, and some of that money apparently was not, was not forthcoming, James. Yeah, so I've just brought the story up now. That was why I asked you just to fill for five seconds, so... Glad we we're on the same page. Uh, figures provided to the Scott Emerson Drive Show indicate verified investments to local uh, soccer clubs totaled just over $10 million. Uh, in the graphic in this story, um, $34 million was allocated, $10.2 has been received, so approximately $24 million is still unclear. Um, Department of Tourism, Innovation and Sport spokesperson denies there is a funding shortfall, maintaining the government has invested the full... Uh, amount and then over to you Scott. No, the timing of this is really good. I know this was a state issue but there is a federal election coming up and we did see last time there was a federal election. A number of a number of clubs did receive some funding for facility upgrades particularly on the women's side of the game given there is a, a severe shortage particularly for female friendly change rooms so hopefully in this upcoming election cycle whenever that is, whoever wins I don't really care hopefully we can see some facility upgrades particularly on the women's side for for, for football here in Queensland, I think I think that's a that's the first. This is the first salvo I think from Football Queensland to try and secure some more funding for the sport. And it's not as I said, the timing is pretty good. Yeah, and I think I, the, the cynic in me says like, this is the time where you really do need those sorts of uh, experienced campaigners making their voices heard. It's also as well, the timing as well is actually uh, quite good. I don't know if it's intentional or coincidental. But uh, Football Australia have also launched a campaign about, you know, obviously with the World Cup being a year away, you know, the funding you know, for the equality as far as uh, you know, female facilities. So it, it's sort of, you know, it's good to, it's good to see that, you know, that you know, all levels of the football, you know, governance are sort of, you know, starting to ask questions of the governments, be it at the federal level or at state level, about, you know, equal funding and equity, you know, as far as, as you know, especially, like I said, if, if, if the female sort of thing is the way to go, and that, that is very, very vastly underfunded as it is, uh, with a World Cup in a year's time, I think this is now the time to do it. So, look, uh, fair, fair play to all um, all sides of both that state and at and national level governing bodies to sort of go spotlight this issue. Yeah, and this is also what you want to see, you know, that lobbying publicly, privately. We've seen examples of it uh, just going around to uh, venues and whatnot. And you just know that there is going to be a lot more of it coming as well. So, you know, hopefully uh, they can keep, keep the push up and we start to see, you know, the football actually reap the benefits of the 2023 uh, World Cup, and also ideally, uh, especially here in Southeast Queensland, the benefits of the 2032 Olympics bid, because in terms of global sporting reach, there's the Olympics and football. They're pretty much on about the same level if football isn't on a slightly higher one. And also as well, just one last point I do want to bring up is that also the announcement that uh, Australia is the preferred host of the Rugby Women's World Cup in 2029. You can almost bet that Rugby Australia and Rugby Queensland will be starting to get their um, their, egg, their ducks in a row as far as you know, wanting funding for their sport, have their, their World Cup. So it's very important that football gets in now and you know, gets the funding, you know, not only just for 2023, but beyond that. Because you can, I can guarantee you that you know the other the other sports will be champing at the bit to to get their part of the pie. Well, we know about the uh, vultures down from uh, from South Queensland in the southeast corner of the country, but I don't see why this has to be an either or thing for rugby union or football. I honestly would like to see the two codes really start to work together and push you know that sort of combined front where both of them can get some form of tangible benefit from the two football codes with a proper global World Cup reach. 
I would like to think that is true, James, but I think, to Adam's point, this is going to be a real fight for the next decade as well, because you mentioned the Olympics are coming up as well, and all the Olympic sports are going to be lining up for funding as well, both for their programs and facilities, because now that Queensland or Brisbane are hosting the Olympics in a decade, they're going to want gold medalists, gold medal caliber athletes, and that's going to, and they're going to ask for a lot of funding for that. So, quick question. Getting in now is a really good time for football to get some funding. I know quick. football is an Olympic sport. I know you're going to say that, but there's plenty of other Olympic sports that will also be lining up as well. What about non-Olympic sports, the kind that are played more in the uh, southern states of Australia? Oh, they, they just they just complain to the, to the media in that state and they get what they want. True. Anyway, well, yeah, we all remember the Gabba uh, being the venue for <laughs> the football in the 2000 Olympics. Now, don't they want to get that as an, in an exhibition sport for 2022? What a joke that would be. Who are they going to play? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Who wins well, the bronze? <laughs> yeah. Australia C. <laughs> New Zealand. Uh, uh, yeah. You never, you never know. There may be uh, a certain basketball player in LA who decides that he's got to try and compete in another Olympic sport. Jumping, he's a noted bandwagon hopper. That's all I'm going to say. Anyway, yeah, that I don't know. I just don't see why it has to be an either-or thing. Uh, we got another story that um, I, I don't really want to touch on too much because I don't think it's worth a whole lot, but. A-League All-Stars making a comeback. They're hosting uh, a bunch of players that will be in Barcelona kits um, on the 25th of May at a core stadium in Sydney, Stadium Australia. And uh, look, I've made my views on friendlies quite clear over the last few years on this podcast. I think they're completely worthless, whether it is you know, a pre-season tour for an overseas European club, whether it's you know just a uh, national team playing... A friendly just to say oh look we actually do play games here in uh this city i just don't really care too much about it to be honest and not my my overriding feeling on this as well is we've seen a lot of complaints about a-league ticket pricing um all throughout this season and over the last few years but if you're the sort of person that is willing to go and spend 120 bucks on a match that is probably going to have the intensity of an fqpl4 training session you know, and then harsh complain that... Harsh on 4 training. I hear that's white hot, mate. That's harsh. Mm. <laughs> but either way, like, if you're willing to spend that much on what is a meaningless match and then complain that $30 is too much for a actual A-League fixture that will actually have some level of intensity to it, then, in my opinion, you're really part of the problem. And normally when I say with these things, James, I feel sorry for the people who actually are foolish enough to buy tickets. In this case, I don't. You, do, you get what you're going to pay for. Because are these, particularly when they come out for postseason games, they are most most of the players don't really give a damn. Let's be honest, and, and I think Barcelona's league season finishes the week before that, so this is going to be their B team or maybe even their C team out here with a couple of notable players, maybe, but it's not going to be much of anything. And to be honest, all these games really annoy me because they don't add anything to the local game here in Australia. And I hope the APL are not using these sorts of games that Sydney Super Cup, the Manchester United trip, and whoever else is going to turn up in the off-season as some kind of way of thinking, oh, we can get these teams here and it's going to boost the exposure of the league and grow fans to the league because we've seen in the past. There's no evidence, James, to say that that people who go to those games have any interest in the A-League. And if anything, it just creates more fans who have interest in those teams and only those teams. So I, I just, I've, always, I've said for a long time, I think the, the Australian football in the A-League should stay as far away from these sorts of things as possible, and I have I'm not I haven't seen anything recently that changes my mind on that. Um, agree with you guys completely about the um, the value of this game, but the one thing I will know is the timing as well. That being that you know quote the All Stars you know, are playing in Grand Final week, which means that potentially the two best. Uh, two best uh, teams in the league are not going to be able to be supplying players to that side, so to call it an all-star side might be a stretch as it is, but um, oh, look, uh, yeah, I, I can't add anything more. I disagree with you guys about the, the value the value of this or lack thereof. Someone who went to that first A-League All-Stars game, James, I have regrets. I can imagine. And, like, and it, for me, it's not even the sort of thing about going and seeing... Uh, your Premier League club in person. Like, I'm a self-confessed Arsenal fan. I would love to go see them play in a match, but when they went to Sydney, 
I had absolutely zero interest in going and seeing them play the games they did against Sydney FC and Western Sydney Wanderers because you're not really getting it. It's like getting the, you know, no sugar uh, soft drink equivalent or the, you know, no alcohol beer version of the club that you want to see. It just, it's not the same. And as, as I continue to say, like, if, you know, if you want to go and like treat it for what it is, great. But don't pretend like it's some noble, you know, pilgrimage to see, uh, you know, this grand old brand. And let's be honest, this is probably also going to be helping Barcelona quite a lot as well because they are in, what, a billion dollars of debt? So they're probably going to be making out quite nicely from this game as well. Just go look at what it's called. It's called Barcelona FC versus the A-League All-Stars. Tells you all you need to know. Yeah. If it was helping out the A-League, it would be called the A-League All-Stars versus Barcelona. Yeah. That tells you the pecking order of the thing. You're paying yeah. to see 11 blokes in a Barcelona shirt. May or may not have actually played for the first team at some point. <laughs> uh, maybe early rounds of the Copa del Rey. Maybe. Yes. And um, there was this wonderful um, a- April Fool's joke that I saw come out from um, the Asian Football Confederation as well. Apparently, uh, they were joking that an Asian Super League is uh, being considered now because the European version went so well. Why are you guys looking at me like that? I was going to say, if first you don't succeed, try somewhere else. That, <laughs> you mean that's it's not an gullible. April Fool's joke? It should be. It's oh, a great April Fool's Day God. joke posted 48 hours late. Once again, proving that, you know, for all the heckling and Twitter meltdowns that there is uh, around Australian football, the global game really have us covered in terms of wacky and stupid stuff. On a more serious note, James, the, 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 on, it was from at ASEAN Football who said that the ASEAN are looking at our proposal and considering... The viability of it. It does say also, though, that there's going to be an East Asian region and a West Asian region. In the East Asian region, it lists Australia as participating clubs. So I'm not sure if that's how that's going to fly. But e- but even so, it would be the same thing as the European Super League, right? Someone's going to have to go into it. Would drop out of the A League. I can't see anybody going down that path. No, maybe, I maybe can't it see might, it. Maybe it might be Perth. Yeah, <laughs> I think I actually think the split between the Western Zone and the Eastern Zone is the only sane part of the whole thing. But anyway, oh, there's... Even, even that's a stretch. I think it's... Uh, well, the, the, these Super League concepts are just all garbage as far as I'm concerned. It's uh, it's just so... Um, it's just anti... Anti sort of the good of the game and more about you know, feeding the rich clubs. We all, we all know that. We all had our protests about the European version. And this would actually be worse. And let's not give it any more oxygen then. We should move on because... The NPL women's season kicks off in about 48 hours from now, and there is a lot uh, for us to cover, so much so that we actually kind of had it sneak up on us, if we're being completely honest, which is why we're going to dedicate the end of this show to our NPL women's preview. And there has been quite a bit of player movement uh, across the traps, Scott. There's been a fair bit, hasn't there? There's a couple of players being announced just recently in the last couple of days. Players actually from the Brisbane Raw A-League women's so it's an Aisha Nori move back up the M1 from Gold Coast United to to Lions SC, the defending treble winners there. We've seen Bella Habuda move to to from Gold Coast United as well to South, so a couple of losses for them. But we've also seen Natalie Tatham link up with Olympic FC as well as Alira Toby. So plenty of A-League women's players already announced as participating in this competition and I imagine there might be a couple more between now and the weekend or at some point over the over the next few weeks because we've always seen it's only about a third way through the year isn't it it's up to the A-League women's players come into it it might be a bit earlier this year but we've seen already some big movements of players between clubs yeah and oh, and the one name that it sounds like well, we won't be seeing will be the reigning golden boot winner Shay Connors because according to Teo Pelizzeri she's off to play for Arpia down in Sydney so it could be a wide open race for uh, Golden Boot honours Adam uh, yeah you know, it could be but also uh, in my personal opinion I think uh, more things change more things stay the same I, I think that uh, it, it's um, yeah big big move for Shay um, we'll talk about that I think uh, she's she, she probably is uh, looking at probably, you know, potentially, you know, sort of, you know, getting more, 
more experienced and you know sort of playing a different environment obviously she's she's probably now at that level where she's probably an established uh a-league women's player and uh yeah good, uh, good on her for um making the move down to new south wales and uh but uh up here in queensland i think yeah you're right i think it does open up uh an opportunity for someone else to take that reign but i just think my personal opinion is that i think it'll be in the uh in the same jerseys are wearing as the reigning golden boot winner was uh, wearing last year yeah. All right, well, we'll quickly try and quickly run through all of the clubs, just talk about uh, what we're expecting from them this season. And we will start off with the uh, almost perfect Lions side that came so close to that uh, feat last year. They did win the treble still, and uh, I'm sure Rob Askew will be itching to try and uh, see his side repeat that feat in 2022. Um, quite a few departures overall, but Scott... This is still an unbelievably strong side. It is, in a, in a funny kind of way, in a scary way, it's actually a more balanced side as well. With Even though without Shea Connors, you've got Chelsea Blitzer coming up from Melbourne City, Aisha Nori into the midfield there. And we already know what sort of firepower Lions FC possess. So in a funny kind of way, they're actually a better or more or well-rounded team with the players coming in. I think in terms of people to keep an eye on, Tegan Riding's an obvious one, but for me, I think Amy Gunston had a, had a really good year last year in the NPL, which has been building and building. I think this is the year where she really does go to that next level and on the back end of it gets herself into the A-League Women's, A-League Women's program somewhere, whether it's in Brisbane or somewhere else. I think this is the year for her to really take that step up. With no Shea Connors now, she can move back to that left-hand side where she was playing before that. So I think it's a great opportunity for her and I think that it's set up for her to have a real big season. I think that's a, they're going to be the team to beat again, aren't they, Lions? Let's be real. The, the team is incredibly strong. I actually think the most notable um, things are actually the the is actually the re-signings. Uh, uh, Cannon Cloth is back. Uh, Mariel Hecker's back. That's uh, that front line of um, Amy Gunson left, uh, Tegan riding up front, and Mariel Hecker probably moving to the right now that um, Aisha Norrie is is there. Uh, is I think I think it, yeah right. It makes them a more balanced side defensively. The probably the one glitch is that you know the Holly McQueen. Even though we I don't think I don't know we don't know her status as far as she's listed as injured. But um, but yeah, it might be a case of whether she returns where she does her rehab with with um, Brisbane Raw and go through their sort of you know their program or whether she returns the lines. That that might be the only chink in the armor. But um, oh but look. Attacking-wise, they're, they're, they're as big as and good as ever. Yeah, while the loss of Connors will be huge, it is a much more balanced and, I would say, deeper side uh, from top to bottom this year as well. And let's not forget, you know, they do also have quite a few uh, talented youngsters mm. to bring into the team as well. They've got the likes of Zara Kruger, who, like, I think she was only 15 when she debuted yeah. last season and, you know, certainly uh, in the right environment to see her probably uh, establish herself as a bit more of a regular as well. Moving on now to the uh, defeated grand finalist, Kapalabar FC. No major... Uh, well, a couple of major uh, departures, actually, as it turns out. I'm just reading the FQ Transfer Centre now. Steph Latham and Tash Wheeler are both out. Those were the two starters um, that have been moved on. Uh, Latham, Brisbane City FC, Tash Wheeler uh, out with injury. In comes Demi Robbins from Logan, Jasmine Genovese from Virginia, Shannon Doherty from Lions, and Georgia Fogarty from the QAS. Still a few questions about, you know, uh, whether or not we'll see the likes of Amy Chapman back. Palba have been quite quiet with their uh, announcements thus far. If they can bring them back, they'll certainly be in the mix again. But it was, if I'm being honest, a fairly threadbare side, and Archie Cajondo might have to... Uh, pull out some of his best motivational tactics this year, Adam. Yeah, look, on, on balance, it's um, they'll still be you know, relatively competitive, but uh, Georgie Worth also as well will be returning uh, to Capalabar as well, which is a big sort of boost boost for them. Um, look, uh, they've got a side that you know probably will, will obviously be competitive. Uh, whether you know, the likes of the key would be the likes of you know, whether Amy Chapman you know does return. I think she, she's still... At, you know her experience, you know, really does offer a lot uh, in in terms of of that side. But uh, also as well, Jasmine Genovese, um, probably probably one of the better strikers in uh, the in FQPL last season, makes the move to uh, to MPL, and I, I think she might be one to watch for that Capella side. 
think they've also got Larissa Crummer back as well, don't they, James? So that'll be a massive addition on the front line for Capella. But it's an interesting one is that they have lost a couple of key players there from that team who led the led the charge to the to the grand final. It'll be interesting to see if they can bounce back and get back there once again. Certainly. Um, and look, with that level of veteran leadership as well, they'll be in uh, the game most of the time. Gold Coast United, 2020 Premiers, uh, semi-finalists the prior year. The biggest departure or biggest change, I don't want to say it's going to be any sort of drop-off necessarily, is Alex Bundelo getting promoted uh, to the head of women's football. And in his place is the under-23s coach, Sarah Evans, who everyone down at Talabudra is quite high on and they think she is going to really uh, hit the ground running at the uh, Coplick Family Sports Park-based club. And it's fair to say, based on her early uh, recruitment, Nadine Keith, Bronte Rose, Kiri Dale and Celeste Peterson, that's a pretty solid um, group of players to bring in. But Bella Habuda, Ishinori and Casafina all gone. That's also a fairly big... Uh, deficit to try and make up as well, Scott. That's what I was going to say. To lose those three players, Zafina, Habuda and and Nori, it's it's the spine of the side. It's the spine of the side which, which won the Premier, which they held to their first trophy a couple of years ago. Back-to-back home semi-finals. Losing those three players, they have brought in a couple of good players, as you mentioned, but, but without those three, I think it's going to be really tough for them. Those are, those are three key, key players... I know they still got Momo Hayashi down there, and she's an unbelievable defender. We've seen what she can do, and hopefully she's 100% back to what she was before the knee injury she had. But to lose those three, that's that's a lot of quality and experience to lose, James. Yeah, it it certainly is, and we'll just have to wait and see how that uh, plays out. To the other semi-finalists from 2021, Eastern Suburbs. Still waiting for a little bit of news from them. The only listed uh, transfer in is a massive one, and I actually think this could be one of the signings of the season. Uh, Keely Richards from Logan Lightning, who for me has actually been uh, one of, if not the best goalkeeper in uh, NPL Queensland. But uh, Scott, you're not sure about that? I thought, didn't Keely Richards pick up an injury in the A-League Women's campaign? I thought she picked up an injury. I know, I know she was that. injured. I, I know, know I know that injured. much. So whether whether she's back on back on the mend, you know, as far as I I can't remember if it was a ser- as serious as an ACL, but because um, uh, certainly she missed the last um, last five or six games for Canberra. So um, yeah, that, that's a that's an interesting one that, that she's listed as a um, as a signing. But whether whether she'll be available for East, look for all we know, she might rock up on uh, on Saturday at Heath Park. So. We want to keep an eye on that. Yeah, I was working on the assumption that um, part of the reason why she got shut down for Canberra was the fact that they were quite confident in her backup keeper as well. Yeah, Chloe Lincoln. Yeah, and she was like, well, I may as well just get the surgery now so that I can be ready and play as much of the NPL as possible. But either way, like when healthy, she is a phenomenal keeper. So that's really all we can say about that. Yeah, let's move on now. And go with Souths United. They were a pretty solid side overall uh, last se- in the early part of last season, but did sort of fall off once the competition split in two. And it was all pretty much on their defence um, to make things happen. And we mentioned uh, Bronte Rose going to Gold Coast United. She really was uh, huge for them at the back and occasionally heading up front to fill those holes. So they've uh, added B. Warriner, the goalkeeper from Western Pride, Holly Gray from Logan Lightning, and the, uh, you know, phenomenal Canadian goal scorer, Bella Habuda. Yeah, um, I think also as well, be the, key, the key to South United will be the re-signings as well. Does does Ricatano, um go back? We, have, we haven't heard anything official there, but if she does, that that combination with Bella Habuda might be pretty much the difference between South South's really sort of you know, making a dent in um, sort of the league or whether they sort of uh, fall outside of the um, outside of the chasing packet for finals. Um, they are... They are sort of on the on the bubble. Now, I think one or two big signings there might be uh, might be a case of you know their their success because I think Bella Habuda alone may not be enough, but you put a supporting cast around her, and all of a sudden that that is a contender. See, I think South actually had the supporting cast last year. They just needed 
that established goal scoring star at the front to really knit it all together. And, and don't forget, Rikitano and Bella Habuda were two of the key fulcrums of Gold Coast United's 2020 Premiership winning side. So I think this could be it's got real potential for for South. I know they've lost their goalkeeper Murphy Sheaf. She's off to college in the US. But your point, Bianca Warner mm. is a very experienced and quality replacement, James. So I don't think they'll lose anything there, but it's a great opportunity for Murphy and hope she does well over in the States. We've seen plenty of goalkeepers from Queensland go over to, to US college system and come back and go on to representative honours. So her, maybe she's the next one. Yep, certainly a chance. And Holly Gray as well does uh, warrant mentioning. I did a couple of the Logan games last season and she scored an absolute bullet against Lions in the uh, semi-final of the Kappa Women's Super Cup. And you have to think that you know, she might not have to play that starring role with the likes of Habuda and whatnot, but she could probably team up quite well with, I don't know if she's going to be starting this season, but Dom Spampanato, etc. You know, maybe just to add that little extra bit of, um, you know, add a guile up front, and she's certainly going to be a very strong performer. In they my... were in the finals right until the end last year and they fell away, weren't they? Yeah. So this that... could be the impetus to push them back in. There was something like second or third when the league split, but then just couldn't produce, because I do think there were a few injuries that sort of took hold. I know uh, Rhea Catano did her knee, like not ACL, but did enough to uh, knock her out for the remainder of the season when they played Gold Coast United in September. And when you lose that sort of player in midfield, they still had Morland and Kissel, but it just wasn't really... Um, so when you had those those three in Spampinato yeah. to Catano and Habuda, I think it looks like a really good front third. Yeah, and it does suddenly uh, put together a side that could really push for finals football. Now, I'm trying to remember how the rest of the ladder um, rolled out. Let's go with Moreton Bay United and their two announced signings. Uh, no, two of their three announced signings have both come from Lions, Tanisha Stanley and Bella Shuttleworth. Speaking of uh, young Queensland goalkeepers going to college in the US, uh, Shuttleworth is only going to be with the club, I think, until about June or so before she heads off for her debut semester over in uh, the US of A, Adam. Well, that's last we heard, um, but that was before she made made four starts uh, for Brisbane Roar and probably probably the pick of the goalkeepers for Brisbane Roar in the the A-League women. So um, whether that's that's changed path or whether it actually gives them more confidence to go and really be a, a success in the US college system, we'll just wait and see. I think... For Morton Bay, they don't. When when Bella does end up going, if she does go, um, they're not. There's not going to be a, a tragedy sort of as far as a big hole. So I think Ro Ro Peterson, who um is who's coming back after missing last season with the ACL, she'll she'll take over. Um, we haven't heard too much about some of the other players as well. That you know, uh, I in reference to the uh, likes of the Fry sisters. I, we don't know if it's still in the books yet. Um, Obviously, uh, Georgia Beaumont is back after her stint with Adelaide United, so they've, they've got to make it for a really good, really you know, solid side. Uh, with, with um, you know, obviously with a new coach in uh, Macca Smith. So, look, I think they could they could be there and about, uh, but uh, I think we'll, we'll wait and see. Scott, they they could be boom or bust, Morton Bay. Really, if the Friar sisters are back at Morton Bay, and firstly back, fingers crossed, they're back from there respective ACL injuries for a start, but if they are back playing for Morton Bay, it could be very an interesting team to watch. If, if they've moved on, that's a lot of goals and quality and experience and assists you're going to lose. So I know they had Sam Bambling really stand up last year in the absence of those two, Georgia Thompson as well. So they've got plenty of attacking firepower, but if they don't have the Fryer sisters, James, it's a it's a very different side as we saw last year. But also as well, just so one last thing on Morton Bay, um, Flo McIntyre is back after her horrendous injury last year, so she'll really sort of you know, add experience uh, to that defence. And I do believe also Jess Dillon will be back, so obviously plenty of experience. So you're right, I think, yeah, Morton Bay, um, they're, they're, they, for me, are like Souths. I think depending on whether all, that, all those players that we just spoke about all show up and return, they, it could, they could be a team that you know, could go very, very close to breaking into that top four. Yeah, so certainly a chance. And we'll uh, go to the last remaining listed club. If I'm, we've got two more, Scott. We've got we've got Olympic. Coast and Olympic. Okay, let's go with Sunshine Coast. 
it it's a Sunshine Coast side. Doesn't look like there's going to be a whole lot of uh, difference to what we saw last season. I'm sure they'll be, you know, competitive at home, you would have to think, trying to capitalise on that uh, advantage of team, making teams travel up to uh, their home ground. But I, I, I'm really struggling to find anything of note to say about them. How about you, uh, Scott? They Sorry. were a team who really surprised everyone last year. They were a team that not many people saw making the split. So congratulations to them for doing that. I think I saw Samara Christmas is going back to the Sunshine Coast Premier League. And if that's the case, that's a massive loss for them. Obviously, brings tremendous experience and quality in the front third. And, and I think that if, if that is the case, I'll certainly miss her. But it's a team of unknowns, and they've thrived on it last year, James. Who knows? They, they may very well thrive on proving us all wrong once again. I can tell you there are, there are huge raps on Tegan Bowman, um, who comes from from uh, the uh, Biwa Glasshouse or the Bee Gees, as, as they're they're known colloquially locals. So she she was the standout player in the uh, Sunshine Coast Premier League. Whether she makes a step up, we'll we'll see. And also as well, Louise Louise Rolfe comes from uh, Southwest Queensland Thunder, and another experienced player at that level. So, but yeah, largely unknown. But uh, they're not. I don't think they're completely hopeless in their chances. Yeah. Louise Rolfe up front. They'll score plenty of goals based on her time at. Southwest Queensland. Yeah, that's that's it. And there's a lot that there's a lot that could go right for them. There's a lot that could go wrong. You just have to wait and see. Um, and then finally, the uh, newly promoted Olympic. And that's just about it. I feel like I'm forgetting somebody. No, no, QAS. that's it. Oh, pardon? QAS, yeah, QAS as well. Oh, the QAS side. Yes. But uh, mm-hmm. look. QAS, look, look we, we, we can cover that up in one, pretty much one sentence. Look, uh, they're, they're going to be competitive at times. They're, gonna, they're not going to be competitive. Um, six, six players that, you know, that will probably feature are uh, in Canberra at the moment on young Matilda's camp duty. So they obviously uh, we'll, we'll probably see a bit about them. But overall, as we say, QAS, they're there for development purposes. Look, we, you just don't know with them what they're going to do. But uh, look, just hope they don't get beat 10-0 every game. That's, I think that's probably the best hope. And I don't think they will. I sure no, like more often no, than they'll no. come out they'll come out and show why they are regarded as the best of their respective age groups. Uh, now, finally, we will wrap up with the newly promoted Olympic and lead off with Scott. Yeah, they've gone quite strong on the recruitment, James, after returning to the MPL. I think they were really disappointed that they were not in the initial split and they certainly made up for it in the second half of twenty twenty one. But they've gone very strong on their recruitment. They just actually announced Chantel Symes not long ago this afternoon as a goalkeeper starting to go along with, as we mentioned, Alira Toby, who was playing for Canberra. Natalie Tatham, who was out injured last year with with her knee injury. They've got Rosie Sutton back there, who's played in the A-League women's in the past as well. And they've got some got a really good, solid group there, in addition to those four players. So they've certainly recruited heavily, and I think they're going to be really competitive in this league this year, James. I think they, they might be a team who actually surprise people. Also, as well, Brittany Lasick and uh, Christy New adds a lot of experience to that and a lot of balance that side. Um, and also, as well, uh, look, I, I really like I've liked the look of um, Christina Amajui over over the years for the gap. She she um, finally sort of you know get a chance to to show her walls in um, for Olympic, and they really um, for for mine they're a dark horse. I, I don't know on paper whether they can match it with with you know lines when they're in full flight we're going to find out a bit on uh, Friday night for the season opener but uh, look I expect Olympic to be um, be a, a real contender as far as the finals places go yeah I completely agree like they, they're a side that definitely does take their women's football seriously and I think they would have been very very disappointed um, to not be a part of the uh, top half of the NPL split but um well, they certainly made up for it by making sure that they earned promotion with a fast finish to the 2021 campaign, and they're up in the top division as well. And I don't think they'll be uh, really in the—I don't think they'll really be in danger of going down. Now, as we do at the start of every season, it's time to uh, put ourselves on the line and do our ladder predictions. And because I'm feeling quite nice, I'll even let myself go first, so you guys can quickly uh, scribble together something. Uh, we've done it. Oh, well, you're better than me then. Okay, I'm going to go bottom to top. I've got Sunshine Coast, uh, QAS, Morton Bay, Olympic, Palabar in fifth place, missing the finals, 
Souths in fourth place. I think that the signing of Bella Habuda is going to be huge for them. Uh, Easts in third place. Gold Coast United in second. And Lions not running away with the Premiership. But I do think they are going to find a way. Rob Askew, all he really knows how to do is win. So he will be celebrating yet another trophy uh, with the Richlands Club, as he has done many times both there and at the Gap. Scott? No, go to Adam first. I'm still... Adam? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the final say. Uh, look, my, my uh, predicted table is as follows. Uh, in ninth place, QAS. Uh, eighth, Sunshine Coast. Seventh, East. Sixth, Gold Coast United. Uh, fifth, Morton Bay, which breaks my heart, but... Um, Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Yeah. <laughs> I don't... You'll I, lose constituents I, after that. Oh, yeah. Uh, fourth, fourth, I think, Olympic. Third, South, second, Kapalaba, and look, I, I can't go past Lions. Uh, uh, running away with it and winning it all. And finally, Scott. Yeah, I, mine's very similar to Adam to say, actually, I've got ninth, QAS, eighth, Sunshine Coast, seventh, East, sixth, Morton Bay, fifth, Gold Coast, five, or four, Kapalaba, three, Olympic, two, Souths, and then I've got a pretty sizable gap to Lions comfortably winning the league. Fair enough. All right. Those are our predictions for the NPL Women's uh, Queensland season. And uh, you can catch all the action starting this Friday. Head out to Lions to see them take on the newly promoted Olympic. And then on Saturday night, tune in as I am currently rostered on to do the East-Souths game. Weather permitting, because what do we know about round one in Queensland football, Scott? There's a mute button, people. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, geez. Uh, let's just hope that, uh, that, that the cyclone doesn't uh, have too much effect. <laughs> of, course there's a, of course there's a cyclone mm. off the coast. It's, it's round one. It's round yeah. one. Well, that was a joke I was trying to set you up for, Scott, but instead I'll just flip you off and we'll keep going. <laughs> you opened the door. I did. I, I led with the chin on that one and got what I deserved. <laughs> All right. Uh, that is going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review, so we'll wrap it up there. Thank you, Scott. Good to talk to you once again, James. Adam, thank yeah, you, Adam. Another good season ahead. Yeah, it will be a big season, and we're sort of in full swing with uh, local football as well as uh, the thing, the close of uh, the uh, A League season. But uh, yep, a pleasure as always, gentlemen. Definitely. Tune in for a recap of round one of the NPL women's season, plus all the other NPL uh, action on the Sunday show featuring Scott and Adam. And in the meantime, we're going to wrap it up there and bid everybody adieu. We will talk to you next week.